Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Well, I am so happy to have as our in-studio guest, my business partner, Mr. Peter Stockman, who is the managing partner of Gamut Strategies and involved with the Areopa business. Peter, welcome to the program. Oh, Darrell, it's great to be here. Thank you. So I'm really thrilled that you're here to, to talk about a chapter that you have written for a book in all spirit of transparency that I am publishing with IGI Publishing. The name of the chapter is Best Business Practices for Incorporating Change in the forthcoming book titled Transforming Scholarly Publishing with Blockchain Technologies and AI. And so also in addition, Peter, we're going to get your views on leadership as well. Before we jump into... Uh, change management and the best practices. If you could, please share with our audience your extensive background and education and experience, which is extremely uh, impressive. Well, you know, I, I went to St. Joseph's College in Rensselaer, Indiana in the early 60s. Uh, from there, I, went, I started with Ford Motor Company. I went on to continue my education. I went to the University of Cincinnati and then Central Michigan to complete my master's degree. And then I did postgraduate work at the University of Michigan and Wayne State. Uh, so when I got out of St. Joe, I started working at Ford. So I worked for Ford for 36 years. I spent my first 12 in the finance areas working on strategic planning acquisitions, um, and, you know, and budgets and all that stuff. So that in business plan. So it was a, a great learning experience to me. And the thing I remember my first day at Ford, I was part of the transmission and chassis division. And the first thing they had me do was put together or take apart and put together a transmission. So, really? Wow. Yeah. So, and, you know, Ford had it, it said, hey, if you're going to represent our products, you need to know what they are. So that was that was a, an experience right there. And, you know, I, so I worked in, in, in the finance area, then I worked in product development and traveled back and forth between Europe and, and, and Germany, England, and worked on the world car, which at that time was a Taurus, and it had common parts with all countries, so that's you know, the first time that Ford did that. Then I uh, ran their training program, so I was in charge of executive, mid-management, and hourly training. And at that point in time, I ended up putting together a training program who, for Alex Trotman, who was president at that time. And uh, we built, ended up building a 300,000 square foot training facility. Wow. And we trained anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 people a day. And I had the opportunity before we built it to travel the world and benchmark and you know benchmark all the corporate training facilities met a lot of great people and still keep in contact with some of them but it was coca-cola was uh one of the big ones ibm was another one but i think the leader at that time in corporate training was motorola university so i, I you know i picked up a lot of experience from there after ford when i retired and i retired early i retired when i was 55 because I wasn't real happy with the new president that was coming. And I had worked for him in, in Australia and it wasn't, a, it wasn't a fun 
thing. So when we talk about leadership, he was not the leader that I wanted to be. Right. <laughs> uh, so so I, then I started my own company. We started PJS Associates, 3P Business Solutions, which was a consulting company. Then I got into patent books where I met you. And from there, we, we left patent books and we started Gamut Strategies and I and Ariopus. So it's... Uh, it's been a long journey, but it's been a lot of fun and continue to learn. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that I appreciate from our time of working together at Patent Books, where you're so collegial, but also focus on the overarching goal. And as you know, as the story goes, um, the executive committee, we selected you to be the CEO, so to let the other CEO go into the chairman's role, simply because he probably wasn't showing the best leadership to us. So um, it's, it's, it's been, it's, this is such a great partnership. And so let's talk about change management in business. Um, you know, with all that's going on with COVID right now, um, everyone is talking about change management. You know, how do we deal with, with, with the new situation that we have here? Why is it so important to have good change management methodologies and to, to, to either build your business or to grow your business? Well, I think you need to understand, and, and most people are starting to do that, that if, if you don't change with the times, continue, and, and change has to happen continually. It's not, we don't just make a change and then stop. For an example, Kodak. You know, Kodak was, was great when the film was out there, but they did never picked up digital technology. And if so, everyone else did, and they were left behind, and now look at Kodak today. So, you know, it, you have to have the philosophy that you can always improve and you, you always have to keep looking out there at the future to understand where you could be next. You know, so that's, that's why change is important. However, people just, they, they think it's just going to happen and change does not happen. It has to be planned. It has to be supported and it has to be ex executed and then measured. So, you know, it's, it's a process. It's like anything else in business. If you have a process and you follow the process, it'll work. And so when you, when you think about change management, what are some of the, the key principles of the change management methodology? Okay, so there's two things. You, we talk methodology and then we'll talk process. So one of the, there's, there's 12, or I think there's 10 that I, I think are important. And I think the most important one is understanding human capital. You know, when you make a change in an organization, your people are the ones that are gonna make it happen. And you need to understand where they're coming from. So you need to understand the human side of change. That's, that's the biggest. And, and typically, when you, when you wanna make a change, 25% of the people will support you, 50% are on the fence, and then 25% will resist. Human nature, you'll find that is the average on any, any change that you make. The next thing is, you know, again, getting back to individuals, is you need, they need to feel comfortable with what's going on. So it's, it's getting with them, explaining the change on a very personal level. They need to know why it's gonna change. What do they, you know, what can they expect from the change, how is it going to be measured? How is you know what what success or failure, and what's in it for them? So it's you know it's 
I have found that, you know, when you have a meeting and you have 25 people in here and you try to explain it to everyone, everyone's, everyone's circumstances are different. So it's, you really have to consider the individual. So that's, that's one of the probably really important principles. The other thing is, is I think you need to support, you know, I always go to the leadership and I say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And usually they call me and say, okay, we need to, we need to approach this change. We need some help. So you need the buy-in. You need the, the leadership to support what you're doing. Not only support it, but they have to demonstrate it. They have to walk the talk. They have to be in the meetings. They have to, you know, put out communications. They have to be the ones that say, this is what's where the company is going to go. So it, it's, you need the leadership buy-in. And again, number four is involve everyone. Make sure, you know, you might just be changing one department, but the people that are around them interface with them, they also need to know what's going on. So the, again, one of my biggest things is communicate, communicate, communicate. Getting, just getting everyone involved and keeping them up to speed. Okay, then making a compelling case. Again, I think I mentioned that, that you need to lay out what's gonna happen, when, why, and how, and everyone needs to understand that. Uh, then the next one would be understand, you have, need to understand the culture. Um, you know, this, again, you're getting back to people and you need to understand who you're going to go after, where they're, where they're coming from. You know, is this going to be easy for them? Is it going to be hard for them? You know, what are their concerns? So understanding the, the culture and dealing with it is extremely, extremely important. And the last one is prepare for the unexpected. I don't care how much you plan ahead, how much you follow the process, you're going to have issues. And so know that it'll happen and be ready for it. So those are the, that's the, the basic principles that you have, you think about as you go through it. Now, just to explain where all this came from, there's probably, right now, there's probably 10 change management philosophies that are out there. Uh, we used one at Ford, we used the Marsh McLennan Global, and I actually became a change manager at Ford. And I learned a lot of this stuff. And my passion started with that program. But there are some neat ones out there. So this, what I've done is I've taken concepts from all the different change programs. As I said, best practices. So I tried to pick the ones that I thought would demonstrate how, if you were to do this today, you wouldn't have to do all the research. Everything is right there. So those are the basic principles and mainly from 12 or 12 different philosophies. So let's talk about human capital and culture. There's a, there's a phrase that we've all have heard that, um, uh, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast every morning. Um, because if, if you got a great strategy, but the culture is not in line with that strategy, um, it's just not going to happen. So when you think about human capital, what are some of the best practices that a, a leader should consider when they're looking to build their team? Well, you're, you, you, if you break your human capital into two, two pieces, 
One is knowledge carriers. So these are people that build up knowledge in the process. So they're the, they're the guys that uh, from experience and from, from doing hands-on work actually will develop a knowledge base that you don't want to lose. Then you have the non-knowledge non carriers. These are the people that you know do routine work. So it's, it's the, the knowledge carriers that are usually the risk takers. They're usually the ones that will try something new. And so those are, the, those are the people you need to target to help you with the change. And again, human capital, it's, it's the experience that comes with it. You know, there's probably 10 or 15 attributes. You know, it's, it's age, it's maturity, it's the skill level. Uh, it's, you know, do they have leadership skills? Do they have communication skills? If you were to rate each one of those skill levels to give them a, a one to five rating, then you can start to develop, okay, where is my human capital? What's my human capital worth? So, you know, they're, 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 Ariopa is looking at now uh, taking sports figures and, and putting a value based on a number of criteria, not only their skill level, but, you know, the, the, their activity in the community, their activity with family, you know. So all of those things are criteria that they're using to develop a human capital base. So again, that's, that's the important thing to understand. And each one of your employees has a different human capital contribution. And you need to understand what those are. So you take advantage of the ones that, that truly, truly can help you on change implementation. So again, <clears throat> looking at human capital in, in culture, when you have a company like Kodak, unfortunately that totally missed the, the digital opportunity. And for what I understand, Kodak actually had the technology in, the, in their shop, but I guess their culture was, um, you know, we like selling film and we like having film developed. So that's going to be our way to go forward. Well, again, they were a very conservative company. They, they didn't, again, it's risk takers. The risk takers are the ones that innovate, fail, innovate, fail, innovate, and keep moving ahead. Kodak wasn't that company. Wasn't that company. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with my dear friend and colleague, Mr. Peter Stockman, who's managing uh, partner at Gamut Strategies. And we are talking about managing change, especially in this time of COVID. Every company is, is looking to how can we, we change. And we're talking about the best practices. And, and Peter, in the paper that the chapter that you have written, you had a nice graphic that talked about managing the change and it had five attributes. And it talked about identify the change, prepare the change, plan the change, implement the change, and then sustain the, the change. What in your experience has, have you seen in your vast experience where companies have failed to truly embrace these five steps? What, what advice uh, would you give to a, a, a manager who is right now in the thick of this, this, this COVID situation as to how they should implement this? Well, again, I think, Darrell, based on that process, it's, again, it's step one, two, three, four, five, 
And if they do every step in order and they understand the steps, for an example, and, and step one, identifying the change, there are three major areas. Understand and, and the present state. So really write down and understand where you are now. What is the desired state? Where do you want to be? And then, you know, it's a list of all the things that you have to change. Now that might seem simple, but <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of people that start changing and don't even do that. So you one, they, they go to a new level and they didn't write down where they want to be. And so they missed two or three pieces. So each of these steps are extremely important. But, you know, if I were to pick one, which was probably the most important, it's the planning. It's the communicating, it's, it's setting up a learning system to teach people to do something new, and it's the reward system. People, again, there's a quote out there that it's, uh, people don't like, it's, it's not that people don't wanna change. They don't, want, they don't argue with the process to change. What they argue with is changing themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's the thing. So if you can get them to understand that they are going to be better off with the change. And so it might be that they, they, they can do the job easier or they might get more pay or if they're paid on output, say the output might increase 30%. So they're going to make more money or there, you know, there's got to be a substantial reward that they can identify with in order for them to embrace and move forward on change. You know, it was interesting uh, during the 2008, 2009 situation in our, our economy, uh, General Motors found themselves to be in quite a pickle. And I guess the union had done such a great job of negotiating the contract that the, the, the contract, which provided people with whatever benefits after they retired, it, it was crippling General Motors to the point where General Motors would be no more. So that's a situation where you, you see that you could say, okay, we're going to hold on to this contract, but at some point there, there, there's no more business, which means there's no more contract versus let's renegotiate this contract so that the company can still survive. Um, during a, being that you're from the automobile industry, um, were you working with any uh, automobile uh, manufacturers at that time? And, and did you happen to counsel? Well, we, had, we actually had a very similar process. You know, one of the things that kills large companies over time is legacy costs. And, you know, that was one of Ford's problems. When I retired, you know, I retired with a substantial uh, severance package and uh, your retirement package. You know, when I was working with Ford, I'd put a buck in and they would match it. So, you know, <laughs> I ended up with a, with a lot of Ford stock. And, and that happened to a lot of the retirees. So when we all retired, you know, they kept, they still had to pay us ongoing. So legacy costs was a killer, but what they did is they came up with some alternative solutions and, you know, they, I got a letter from them probably five years after I retired and said, hey, what we can do is we can take the money that you're retirement fund and we can guarantee you X percent return a year, almost like an annuity. And, and if you take it out of this and put it in this, we'll guarantee. And so, you know, 
90% of the people did that because it was a win-win for them, guaranteed income. So, you know, th there's, there's usually a solution to every problem. That's just, a, you, need, you need to get everyone thinking in the same direction. Wow. So let's talk about gamut strategies. Uh, what is the focus of gamut strategies and, and what sets gamut strategies apart from the thousand other consulting firms out there? Well, you know, I, I think it's, it's our network in, and relationships that we have. Uh, we will put together the right people at the right time for the right job. So we're, we're a just-in-time consulting company. And we, we try to keep current with what's going on in the industry. And, you know, like when we, we decided that we wanted to know more about Ariopa. So we got involved to understand what they're doing. And then since then, we've got two or three other clients that popped in on our screen. And we found out there's, there's a, a great fit with Ariopa. So I, I think it's understanding what is needed in the marketplace and in fitting the right people together. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. It's like being a matchmaker. Exactly. <laughs> you know, in Ariopa, uh, Ludo Pius, who is the uh, founder of, of Ariopa, has a very interesting concept, which of course, we, we, we both appeal to both of us. And that is understanding the intellectual capital of a company. Um, tell us more about, share with our audience your thoughts about the value of intellectual capital and why you feel that that is going to be such a huge factor in business here in the United States going forward. Well, they, they've been doing this in Europe for about oh, eight years now. And intellectual capital is, is made up of basically four areas, human capital, structural capital, customer capital, and supplier capital, or your, any alliances that you have. And they have never been, any of those three, have ever been included in a balance sheet, so, or the company's worth. So normally you'll look at the financials of a company and they have a balance sheet and X number of dollars, and that's the value of the company on the balance sheet. So. An example of intellectual capital, if you take Apple, Apple's dollars on, a, on a, a balance sheet plus what their market value is now, that difference is intellectual capital. It's everything that people think that they have that you can't put a dollar figure on. So now financial institutions are starting to realize that there is a value in understanding what intellectual capital is worth. And Ariopa has developed a, a process and there's 900 and I think 952 steps for the evaluation. And they have in, they have in Europe, they have got banks now that will lend you money based on your intellectual capital value. So it's, it's really neat. And the thing that's neat about it, now you get a lot of your innovative startup companies are able to get money, which, you know, if you're an innovative startup company, you don't have anything. You have, what you have is you have a, a, a product, you might have a patent, but you have all this intellectual capital that, you know, you can't take to the bank. So it, it's going to be a whole new concept of the way companies can move forward. 
That is very exciting. That is very exciting. Peter, believe it or not, we're winding down to the end of the interview, but I wanted, before we go, I wanted to get your views on uh, leadership. And what do you feel are the key traits of being a good leader? Well, you know, I, I think my philosophy, this is, and I'll tell you a quick story. When I had my first supervisor's job at Ford, so they made me a supervisor, no training, just said, you, you got these 10 people. You know, I thought my job was to just check everything they did. So I'd read all the reports, I'd change them, I'd read everything. I, I spent hours and hours. Well, my boss came in to me and says, Pete, if you remember one thing as a leader in Ford Motor Company, what your prime job is, is to teach everyone enough knowledge so they could take your job. So that's been my philosophy is I need to share everything that I've learned with my employees so I could walk out the door, I could go on vacation, and I'm more than comfortable that they would be able to do my job. So that's been my leadership philosophy, you know, all through for And even now, that's, you know, sharing information and giving people the knowledge that I learned so they don't make the same mistakes. That's what it's about. That's a good leader. You know, and, and one of my favorite guys that I, I truly emulated was Jack Welch. You know, Jack was a, he was known as a, a not so nice guy, but I actually experienced Jack in the pit in, in, in General Electric out in Croton when I went out to do some work for them out, out at the conference center. And, you know, his, his philosophy and what, he, what he's done, and, and I've read a couple of his books, he, he truly believed in his people. You know, he was the kind of guy that would walk, he never stayed in his office. He was always out talking to his employees and he would talk to the, the hourly people and he would talk to any, any employee. He was just that kind of guy. And so, you know, I think that that's important. You gotta be a walk around manager. You can't sit in your office and, and, and read reports and, and expect people to know and understand you and respect you. You know, it works works both ways. And how would you describe your leadership style? Yeah, I, I think I, I emulate Jack. I, you know, Jack was a, a, an important guy. And then my father-in-law, Dean Fight, he worked for Procter, he was a VP of Procter and Gamble. And, you know, again, you, you, you look at people that you want to be like, you know, I can remember a couple of people in Ford I didn't want to be like, you know, I didn't like their style. So those are the kind of things as you move through an organization, you kind of move and you kind of emulate things that you like and things that you don't like. So it's in every organization is different. So it's, and it's, it's just people you have each, each group of people I supervised was a little bit different, mm -hmm. but you know, you understand who they are. You know, when I worked in the training center at Ford, I, I go in at four or five in the morning, do all my email, all my desk stuff. So when the first employee came in, I was there at the door and said, hi, you know, or sit down and have coffee with them. It was my, my style just to be in contact with all my people. You know, I'd, I'd be invited to birthday parties. I, I, met, I just loved them. It was, that's, that was the fun of being a leader. Well, you know, um, I want to thank you, Peter, for coming on the program, but I do want to give you the last 30 seconds to give us some words of wisdom. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, one, one word of wisdom is I'd read Jack Welch's book, uh, Winning, uh, The Ultimate 
business know-how book. So I, I think that I probably got more out of that book uh, of any leadership book that I read. And, and if you could remember some of the things that he said, but if, if one thing that I, I'd like everyone to take away is if, if you were to believe that you want to teach you, anyone that's working for you to take your job, if you believe that that's your role, I think that everyone would be successful. Wow. Well said. Well, I want to thank you, Peter, for coming on our program. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Peter Stockman. He's managing partner of Gamut Strategies in Ariopa as our in-studio guest. Peter, thank you for coming on the program. Uriel, thank you very much, and you have a wonderful and safe day. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up this week on Leadership with Darrell W. Gunter on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Remember, have a great weekend, but leadership begins with you. WSOU 89.5 FM.